Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games. And no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 at the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with respect to the New York Giants in multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program. 201-939-4513. That is option number one. Option number two, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You could also interact directly with us on each of our Twitter handles. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So OTAs continuing. We will get into that. But there have been a few transactions that impact the Giants, both within the division as well as according to reports on the roster. And let's start with, Paul, the biggest news. Right before we started this program here, we learned that according to multiple reports, the Philadelphia Eagles have agreed to a deal with James Bradbury. And we talked about this. Hey, once a guy is released and he hits the free agent market, he's entitled to sign wherever he pleases. And of all the teams, he falls within the division. It is a one-year deal worth $10 million. Now, the $10 million, we don't know the breakdown. We don't know how much is incentives, base salary, and so forth, but he agreed to a one-year deal, so that means he's going to be within the division. He's going to be facing off with the Giants twice this upcoming season, and the Giants knew that when you let go of a player and he hits the free agent market, there's going to be teams likely within the division, especially Philadelphia, which was looking for a corner opposite Darius Slay. That was probably going to at least make a push for him, and ultimately he lands in Philadelphia, not too far away from East Rutherford. Yeah, the uh, obvious implication when he was set free is that maybe Patrick Graham, his defensive coordinator sure. with the Giants, would try to bring him out to Las Vegas to play for the Raiders, but the Raiders are a bit more cap-strapped 
than the Philadelphia Eagles are, and that may have been one of the reasons why he did not go there. Uh, One thing to, to keep in mind, his agent did a sensational job here. Because uh, Bradbury, I know what his cap number was with the Giants in 2022. It was going to be about 21 mil for the cap. But his actual money, his take-in, was going to be about 13.5 million bucks. Well, because the Giants decided to part ways with him when they did, he had already gotten a trigger of $2 million guaranteed for this calendar year. Yep. So think about the number now. Uh, if he maxes out and gets the $10 million from Philly... He gets the $2 million from the Giants. He's going to net $12 million in 2022. And he was supposed to come in with about 13 and a half. So the truth of the matter is he got himself a little bit of a haircut. Uh, his agent did a really, really good job of, of not injuring his bank account uh, for this season. And now at the end of this year, he's 29 years old right now, he's going to be able to reenter the free agent market only earlier than he did this season with the anticipation that if he has a bounce back season, he'll be able to get a big time contract. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is the timing, which you were somewhat alluding to the fact that he got this level of a contract this late in the game after the draft and well into the offseason program. Normally, players that sign around this time of the year, if you look at the market, we're talking about, you know, maybe veteran minimum deals because teams don't have a lot of cap space. So the fact that not only was he able to get to a new team, but also get a nice sizable contract considering the time of the year we're in, I think certainly speaks volumes about the job his agent did. The other thing that I think is important to note is he only signed a one-year deal, as you pointed out, Paul, meaning he could test the market again. And the reason why I wanted to raise that is when we were receiving a lot of phone calls on this program, there were people calling for the Giants to extend the contract and keep him around. And I had emphasized it takes two to tango. Bradbury and his representatives have to be willing to then add more years to his current Giants deal. And I'm sure their philosophy was, why are we going to lock ourselves in to a contract when we can then gain more flexibility in testing the market a year from now or perhaps two years down the road after we sign a new contract? And it turns out, at least I'm connecting the dots, I believe that was the belief. Let's test the market. Let's go to a team, sign a short-term deal. And then once again, have an opportunity to capitalize. And that's exactly how it looks like it played out for him. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Lance, Darrell Rivas did that four or five times near the end of his career, where he continued to sign one-year deal after one-year deal after one-year deal because he kept banking on himself. And he didn't want to sign any kind of multi-year packages because he thought that every year he would be in the best position to maximize his potential salary. And it worked out extremely well for him. I'm not saying that Bradbury's a copycat here, but he certainly has used that technique here in this uh, 2022 season. I'm just looking up Revis. He signed a five-year deal with the Jets in 2015. That was his second stint. And then he signed a two-year deal with the Chiefs in 2017. But then he wound up retiring right before 18. So it was a short-term deal, he didn't but do it once. never came to fruition. Was it that he was after ones? Because I remember a big deal being made about this, like Revis Island is betting on himself. He never signed one-year deals. According to what I'm looking up right now, it looks like the shortest contract, to answer your question, Paul, was a two-year deal with the Chiefs. Though I will say he did sign a one-year deal with the Patriots back in 2014. That was in between 
his stint with Tampa Bay, and then his second go-around with the Jets. So there was a one-year deal, but it was smack in the middle. Okay. It wasn't necessarily a continuation of maybe four or five years in yeah, a row. I recalled something about one-year deals with him because he was very specific about you know trying to maximize his own worth and put a lot of belief in himself. Quite frankly, we see the Yankees, uh, Aaron Judge, doing the same thing in baseball. With him turning down the big offer. But also, with respect to James Bradbury, I mean, when you point out the fact that he's going to be 29 in August, because he hasn't turned 29 yet, it's not as if the man is at the latter part of his career where he has no gas in the tank, right? So I think actually it's a smart philosophy, Paul. You feel good about banking on yourself, given where he is within his career and the fact that he's played at a consistent level. So Philadelphia is going to have him for a year. Hey, maybe things work out in Philadelphia. Maybe they work out a long-term deal. If not, then you pursue and you take your services elsewhere. Well, there's always that injury risk, and that's the one downside to anybody gambling on themselves. But I understand what his uh, camp did. Uh, Good for him. He's a good guy, very well-respected player, very well-liked teammate. Uh, In fact, as I mentioned the other day, the interview I did with Rodarius Williams for the huddle, he talks about the fact that Bradbury and the other DBs here were still in communication and they were still seeking advice from him. I don't know how much more that's going to go now with him in Philadelphia, Lance. (laughs) But but it was it was nice to know uh, of the affection that they had for their former teammate. Uh, I do think also this is the time where you'll see some of these guys who aren't necessarily interested in sitting out the summer. We know a lot of veterans, you know, they'll wait till the last minute to come into training camp. Um, there are some guys who are going to say, you know what? Mini camps, the veteran, uh, mandat- not the veteran, the mandatory mini camps uh, are going to be upon us in another two weeks or so. And a lot of these guys, you know, I just want to know where I'm going to be this year. And, and that's why some of these guys, you'll see a, a collection of fellas who are going to sign deals within the next week or two because they want to get into those mini camps and get cracking with their new team. Other guys are simply going to wait around until probably the end of July and early August because they don't want to deal with stuff that they may have to deal with over the summer. Especially guys that may be also nursing injuries and are still rehabbing. They may decide, hey, it's not worth it coming to camp. I'll just wait till training camp actually starts. So this way I have more time on my own to get back to full health. A lot of those conversations usually happen in back channels. With respect to the advice you were talking about, Radarius Williams not necessarily getting that from Bradbury. The good news is, though... He's not going to be that far. They're going to play each other twice. So before the game, he could get some advice. During the game, something tells me the advice is not going to be coming his way. Uh, No, not at all. That's one way to look at it. Now, on the topic of the secondary, the other story that I think is worth breaking down here, and this pertains to the actual Giants roster. And Once again, this is not official. The Giants have not announced any new additions, but there are multiple reports circulating by several Giants beat writers as well as ProFootballTalk.com that the Giants are going to be adding a pair of veteran secondary players, both who have ties to the Baltimore Ravens and Don Wink Martindale. One of them is Maurice Kennedy, and the other one is Khalil Dorsey. Dorsey was with Baltimore going back to 2020. He joined them as an undrafted player. Kennedy was a 2016 sixth-round pick. The common element with both of these players, despite the fact that they do have connections to the Ravens, is both of them, specifically Kennedy, Paul, dealt with a lot of injuries. Yeah. So the durability question, I think, is there for both players. Dorsey didn't play at all last season. He was on IR, and Kennedy 
It's just a list of one injury after another. And last year when he was with Dallas, because he didn't go all the way through Baltimore in 2021, he was mainly a special teams player in his eight games. And actually on social media, I gave the laundry list of all the injuries. I just briefly want to go over them. And this is not to scare anybody. This is just the reality of the circumstance. 2016, only played four games, hamstring injury, put him on IR. 2017, eight games he played, spent time on IR again with a knee injury. 2018, seven games, spent time on IR with a thigh injury. 2019, he split time with Baltimore and the Jets. That was his best season volume of games-wise. He played 13. He opted out 2020 due to the pandemic. And then last season, as I noted, eight games with Dallas. Mainly those special teams only played 14% of the defensive snaps. So that at least is a little bit of a breakdown with respect to Maurice Kennedy. Well, think about this for a second. Between Ward and Ellis in the front seven, and now the additional corners uh, that are coming from Baltimore, that's four veteran defensive players who are joining Wink Martindale with the Giants after he left the Ravens. I think at the very least, they've got an understanding of the scheme, and they will be used upon, I'm sure, by many of these other players to find out the idiosyncrasies and some of the things they're unfamiliar with as they try to get caught up to speed. I I guarantee you that's part of the reason that they're here. Now, whether or not these guys actually wind up competing for legit reps, well, they've got to make the team first. And we'll find that out at the end of the summer. Kennedy at at 6'1", is a bit of a a taller boundary corner. And and, and the the other guy, well, did I see a listing? He's 5'9". 5'9". Yeah. So you're, you're thinking more of a, of a slot guy, obviously, as the Giants try to add some people into the room. But I would agree with you. I think that they have familiarity with respect to the defensive scheme. It's another two players to also help bring these young corners along since they do have some experience within the system. Whether or not they played a lot of defensive snaps is irrelevant. They've been in the rooms. They understand Mm -hmm. what Martindale has asked the corners to do. And when Martindale, and by the way, a lot of Giants players have been on the record saying this, what do you think he's showing them in the film room? He's showing them Baltimore Ravens film. Yes. Whenever whenever a new defensive (laughs) coordinator comes in, in order to implement his scheme, and this is not just for the Giants, this is all around the league, coordinator, he puts on the film of where his previous stint was, and he says, hey, guys, this is how it's supposed to look when guys are performing at a high level of execution. So now all of these players that are coming in, they're going to be watching their own film from the previous season or two because they've lived it. They've experienced it. So I think that's another valuable resource in having players be an extension so that when Martindale's not in the room with these players, they can at least bite their ears off some of these young players and really stay glued to them to determine, okay, what are some of the subtleties that I need to do as a corner to make sure I'm in the right spot? Exactly. And I, and I, I will say this. Again, we don't know exactly what the upside is on Williams and Robinson. I'm very optimistic and hopeful about both players, but you just don't know. And that's one of the reasons why you bring in these veterans, not just to teach them some of the Ravens scheme, but also because you figure with their experience and their guile, at the very least, you'd like them to be an insurance policy. And maybe if they have to uh, be able to compete for a job. 100%. Because volume at this point is key, given the fact that we talked about it. The bulk of the secondary was drafted between 2020 and 2022. So if you can add a little bit of a veteran presence, it doesn't hurt. And to your point, nobody's saying these guys are going to be a lock to add to the roster. You got 90 guys, you might as well capitalize and take advantage. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here 
on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, discussing the secondary news that James Bradbury, according to reports, is joining the Philadelphia Eagles, will stay within the division. few announcements before we open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash suites for this for more information. Is there anything more annoying than having to run to the store in freezing cold weather when all you want to do is stream endlessly from the comfort of your couch? Or realizing after just going to three different grocery stores that you forgot the toilet paper and refused to enter yet another parking lot? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone appear with the items you're missing right to your door? Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's a craving for something sweet during a commercial break or you forgot those bathroom essentials, Grubhub will deliver anything from the convenience store right to your door. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. All right, let's move along here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We open up the lines. Phil is in Vermont. He gets us going. What's happening, Phil? Hey, guys. How are you today? Hi. Um, Obviously, sorry to see Bradbury go. Um, I'm sure he's a good guy and all that. But, you know, I think the critical piece for us is we are in a rebuild. Let's just be honest, and that's probably a three-year process. And we have to look at these guys versus what they provide versus what they cost. And at the time, he was paid kind of top-of-the-market money for a cornerback. He had one very good year, and he had one, I would call last year, mediocre at best. He got torched when he was put in press coverage in the beginning of the year. So I'm sorry he's going to Philly for sure, but again, the league is telling you these guys, Williams, Galladay, um, and Bradbury, what we're paying them relative to what they're providing, it just isn't a match. And the critical piece for us going forward is how Shane manages the roster transition to bringing in the young, better, cheaper players and managing these people out of the roster because unless they're going to take less money we just can't afford to be paying a guy 27 million dollars a year and getting 14 million dollars a year in production we can't be afford uh, affording paying a receiver 18 million dollars a year and getting zero touchdowns we just can't do it anymore and, uh, and he's well, let's face it, Phil. I mean, the bottom line is, from an, o- Phil, from an offensive standpoint, I mean, everybody struggled last season. Nobody put up good numbers, okay? I mean, Kenny Galladay, granted, you expected him to at least find the end zone, but nobody is holding up their statistics from last season and saying, hey, I'm going to capitalize off of that. I mean, an offense scored, on average, about 17 points per game. So when you look at those numbers, you wouldn't expect anybody to give you a good bang for the buck under those circumstances. The Bradbury transaction, while I understand you're talking about they're going in a transitional phase, yes, Joe Shane, new coaching staff, but they needed money to sign their rookies. 
Bradbury was a salary cap casualty. I don't think it was necessarily that they didn't value him and they didn't think he was a good player. It was the fact that they didn't have the luxury to hold on to somebody eating up that much space on an expiring contract when they had to prioritize signing the 11 guys they just drafted. So there's a lot of different elements in play. It wasn't so simple to say the bang for the buck philosophy. It was more of out of necessity. We have to cut ties with a player. You know, I, I well, get again, it. Again, that just gets to their cost. I mean, again, all those players are good players. I'm not saying they're not, but we're paying them as if they are in the upper tier of the league, and they're not. All three of them are not. Well, so, Bradbury again, was two years ago when he when he was you know a Pro Bowl player. He clearly was an elite corner then. Had a bit of a down year last season. I think we all admit that and all agree to that. Uh, he gave up too many big plays. Now, I will tell you, uh, what do you have, 17 passes defense, Lance? You, you probably got the numbers in front of you. He was in the top five of the NFL in passes defensed. I officially had him down, according to my notes, for allowing five touchdown passes on, uh, during the course of the season. I, I had him given up five. I believe some other analytic services had him down for six or seven. I had him for five. Yeah, yeah. Did, did he give up a, a few too many there? I get it. But for the most part, he actually played better than you think. And he had 17 passes defense. He had 18 the year prior in 2020. Exactly. So, you know, I, yeah. I get it, though. The John, John came up with an abbreviation, which I like, PPD, production per dollar. I like that. I think it's a really great uh, abbreviation to use. And, and, and I understand what you're saying. He was getting paid and, and as an elite corner, I, I, and he like was an elite players, this past right? season. I get it. It's not that I don't like Leonard Williams or don't want him on the team, but I can't countenance paying that guy $27 million a year, and I venture to say there isn't a damn team in the league that would. <laughs> so, you know, we've got to get, and this is where I'm very, I, I'm very optimistic, I think we have a realistic management team now that is going to look at value of players and right now, yeah, they're signing a lot of guys just to fill out the roster. But, you know, we're, we need another couple of big drafts, and we need some strategic free agents to turn this around. Um, I'm a little concerned, Paul. Uh, you know, your statement of the mediocrity of the league is on point. You look at that Giants roster, I, you know, I see maybe seven wins there. I mean, um, you know, that, that will take us out of that top tier. But, well, uh, let, let me let me say this, and there, there there are two points I want to make before we let you go. I know we want we want to get other people, but if you think that there are seven wins there, actually that's okay because here's the thing, right? First of all, that'll clearly be better than last year, and number two, any time that you think that a roster is capable of a certain win number, you know there's going to be a two to three win variance either up or down, yeah. simply depending yeah. upon injuries or luck. <clears throat> Right? Yep. So if you think they're a seven-win team right now, realistically, if you kind of grinded your teeth on that, well, then you know what? They could easily win nine or ten if everything falls correctly, too. And then I think you'd be really happy. They could also wind well, up winning only really four I'm games, too. For, I'm rooting for them to win every game. I, told, <laughs> I get you. tells me they need picks. I get you. My heart tells me it's the Giants, baby. And, la- and last thing, to, and last thing, last thing, I want to make sure you got this right before you hang up the phone because it's important you understand this. Okay, Leonard Williams' cap number is over twenty-seven for this season, but his salary is not. His guaranteed salary is only nineteen mil. The prorated bonus of his cap 
which gets uh, spread out over the duration of his contract, brings him up to a cap number of 27 this year. So be careful when you look at those numbers and understand, like, well, what are you paying the guy this year? The bookkeeping says he's 27-plus mil, but he's really making 19. Okay. Thanks, guys. Good point, and thanks for the education on that, Paul. Have an awesome day, guys. All right. Be good, Phil. Yeah, the other thing, by the way, in terms of the caller's point about it's all on Joe Shane and the type of players he brings in from a financial standpoint, it's also on the coaching staff and the scheme to develop these guys, too. If you're going to campaign about the importance of the draft, you don't just bring the draft picks in and throw them on the field and expect them to all of a sudden make huge strides and impacts on your team. you got to develop these guys. So it's still also the onus on the coaching staff to get these players to that level where you are getting great bang for your buck so that these players are on rookie contracts and you're getting a nice return. That's the other side of the equation. It's not just on the general manager to bring in the talent. It's also then for the coaching staff to take these players and put them in the right spots based on the scheme and spend the time to get them to the point where you can throw a fourth or a fifth round pick into the lineup and you have an idea of what you're going to get out of those players too. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. John is in Cape Cod, and he joins us. What's happening, John? Hi, guys. Listen, uh, I love your show. I try not to miss you and Jeff and Lance because your knowledge of the game well, that's makes me, so I'm the show here. worth listening to. Yes. Well, we appreciate I, I, I it. Thank you. I've been watching pro football for a long, long time. Ten years ago, that term production per dollar everybody would scratch their heads. I think there's been a paradigm shift in football because of free agency and salary cap, and it makes the GM job more important than it's ever been, almost on a level with good coaching. And the Giants are suffering from what I think is two bad GMs back-to-back. I like... Shane, it's nice having somebody from the outside, and it's having somebody that doesn't have a huge ego. I like the coaching staff. Uh, When they were looking for a defensive coordinator, there were two guys on my short list. One one was Wink Martindale, and the other was Jim Schwartz. And I would have been happy with either one, and I am. Okay. Uh, Okay. It was interesting when you were talking the other day about Jake Ballard versus Bellinger. I, I would have thought, the thing I thought you were going to say was Mark Bavaro. Physique-wise, he reminds me a lot of Mark Bavaro. I loved Ballard, though, and I don't know if you guys followed him afterwards, but when he got hurt, the Giants tried to sneak him through waivers. Yep, and sure, and the Patriots Belichick, claimed him. Yeah. yeah, Belichick misses nothing. I follow the Patriots here because I'm in New England also. But uh, he got hurt again in preseason mm-hmm. after the Patriots took him. And I, yeah. as far as I know, he never played again, which was a huge loss because he was extremely Well, he did play. He actually he wound up with the Arizona Cardinals, Cardinals. briefly in 2013. Right. But right. to your point, he was never his old self from a health perspective. Yeah, because he there aren't, there aren't, there aren't a lot of tight ends around the league anyway who can block and catch. And he was, he was clearly one of them. Uh, you know, I don't have to tell you the giant, the Giants' history. You guys know more about it than I do. You know what's but- interesting, caller? To be honest with you, um, and, and the reason that I'm I'm going with Ballard, it's not just the physique because the, 
they're similar. They're they're not. You trust me. Ballard and Bavaro were fairly similar in terms of their stature and physique, but but I think the reason that that I would say right now more Ballard is because Mark Bavaro was was an All Star player. I mean, right out of the gate, he was terrific, and and the Giants fans know that had he not had that degenerative uh, knee condition. That the truth of the matter is, you could have argued five, another six years down the road, he might have been a Hall of Fame player. Okay, he was that good. I don't want to put, I don't want to put that kind of pressure. And led them after the Giants wouldn't give, wouldn't renew for medical reasons. He went to the Eagles and led them in catches for one or two more seasons. You don't have to sell me on Bavaro, trust me. But my point to you is this: it's putting a lot of pressure on Bellinger to start putting him in 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 a sentence with Mark Bavaro. I think it's more fair and more realistic to put him in a sentence with with Ballard. And that's not to be disrespectful of Jake Ballard because Jake Ballard was a good, solid, steady ball player who was reliable until until he injured his knee, obviously in the Super Bowl, and made some very important catches for the Giants that helped them get to that championship game. And, And I think, you know, that's the kind of expectations I think are more fair to put on Bellinger than to say he's Mark oh, Buffaro yeah. out of the gate. I was only I, I was only comparing physical characteristics and the fact that that like Rambo, he he seems to be a kid with few words that lets his play do the talking. Sure. Well, he was asked, John, and we'll let you go on that note. Appreciate the phone call. He was mainly a blocker at San Diego State. So I think what's intriguing about Bellinger is can you get more out of him? from a receiver standpoint, considering the offense at San Diego State did not ask him to be heavily involved as a receiver. So I think that's where the potential is, but you don't know at this point because you haven't really seen much of it on film. It's come in flashes. You know that he's got the framework and the foundation of a blocker. That's extremely promising and a desire to block too, which is even more encouraging, right? The question is, if you actually want to get more out of him from a catching perspective... Can he do that within what you're asking him to do based on your offense? So that, to me, I think remains to be seen. With respect to, you know, Bavaro, based on the fact that we also know his resume at this point, I wouldn't necessarily throw a guy that has yet to play one NFL snap in that conversation. But to the caller's point, if the point is there's that potential for contributing in both areas, Paul, I understand that point. Where you have the blocking aspect and the catching aspect. I'll add this, uh, Lance, from getting to meet Bellinger and watching him out here for a couple of practices, plus the rookie camp, he's cut out of stone. I mentioned it on the show yesterday. It looks like someone just took a big block of granite and just (laughs) chiseled this guy right out of the stone. Uh, He doesn't have an ounce of fat on him. I mean, he's he's an impressive uh, young man when you meet him. The Giants just officially finalized a few transactions, so I want to read them to you before we move along here on the Mm -hmm. program. We talked about, according to multiple reports, that they have added cornerbacks Maurice Kennedy and Khalil Dorsey, who were associated with the Baltimore Ravens and Wink Martindale, but they also added two more players, defensive end Jalen Holmes and safety Henry Black. Black joined the Packers as a rookie free agent in 2020. He played in 25 regular season games and three postseason games the last two seasons. Had 27 tackles, one interception, two passes defensed, and two forced fumbles. Plus, he had one stop in the playoffs. Last year, he played in all 18 games and had 25 tackles, including one in the postseason. As far as Holmes... 
Holmes was a two-time honorable mention All-Big Ten selection at Ohio State. So he is making the transition from college to the pros, but he also in 2021 did play eight games after one start for the Saints. So he has a little NFL experience, but not nearly as much as Black. Now, in order to make room for these four players, the Giants had to, of course, cut ties with a few players. And some of these are established players who have been on the roster. They have terminated the contract of linebacker Trent Harris. They've waived quarterback Brian Lewerke. And defensive end Raymond Johnson III, who was the only undrafted rookie to make the team last year. And they also waived injured defensive back Jordan Mosley, who was an undrafted rookie out of Maryland. That was recently added to the roster. So four players in, four players out. And of the four players that they're bringing in, three are members of the secondary, which, Paul, is not necessarily a surprise, given what we've talked about over the course of the last few weeks. Not at all. The only other comment that I would add here is that because Holmes did start nine games for Minnesota in 2020, that makes him a connection to defensive line coach Andre Patterson, who was with the Vikings back then. Uh, So there is clearly a familiarity and an association and a tie that that must have uh, brought him to East Rutherford. Uh, The other item that that I want to mention is that I liked Raymond Johnson. I thought when he came out of Georgia Southern last year, uh, I thought he showed some potential. Young player, enthusiastic, looked like he showed some really nice flashes during training camp, was the only undrafted rookie free agent, right, to make the team opening day. Uh, looked like he was the kind of guy who could play three-technique defensive tackle as well as defensive end. I, 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 was, I was really kind of intrigued by him. And with that versatility, understanding that Wink Martindale plays Rubik's Cube with his front seven, I, I thought he could be a potential contender for some rotational snaps. So that name did surprise me when I saw him get released a little while ago. And I get where you're coming from. My response, though, is you have a new coaching staff and you have a new general manager. So anybody that was brought in with the previous regime at this point, you can't necessarily be that stunned because they have no allegiance to any of these players. And the way that right the previous coaching staff and front office viewed them can't necessarily be assumed to be the same as how the new regime looks at Mm -hmm. them. So that's always the wild card whenever you have new faces. And then especially when the new guy who comes in to take that seat has a connection to his former Vikings coach. Sure. (laughs) Well, just like Wink Martindale's bringing in players that he has connections to. So no different than the positional coaches saying, hey, I like this guy. I saw potential in him. Why don't we bring him in and see how he can compete with the rest of the roster? Exactly. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here. Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's head back to the lines. Dawson is in New York joining us here. What's happening, Dawson? Hello. Can you guys hear me? We hear you loud and clear. Yep. Uh, how's it going? Uh, long time, first time. Uh, I'd like to be quick. I know you guys want to get to other callers, so I'll take your answers off the air. Uh, I just want to say I live in California now, so I was able to make it out to the draft. I was there for the first two days. Love the picks. Um, I agree with the previous caller um, in the fact that I think uh, Galladay is getting paid a lot, and I think he really needs to improve his game this season because losing Bradbury to Philly, that really hurts. And uh, I'm I'm curious and concerned at the same time to see how the corners and tight end groups play this year because they're young and not very experienced, and we all know you need three starting quarterbacks, and we barely have two. 
Well, you and don't I have a lot of guys with experience, I mean, to your point. It's not that you don't have bodies. You have guys that certainly are going to get snaps. It's just a matter of it's the land of the unknown. You don't know what you have out of them. And that's why I keep emphasizing the bulk of the secondary roster was drafted between 2020 and 2022. That's all you need to know. And Adoree Jackson and Julian Love are the only players that were beyond that in terms of experience. So that alone spells out everything. And we'll let you go on that note, getting some phone feedback. Appreciate the call. With respect to the tight end group, Paul, we also can point to youth. But as I've noted, if you go back and you look at the Chiefs and the Bills, specifically Buffalo, rotated a lot of tight ends. So don't get so caught up in that the Giants need one guy that's going to be out there for 90% of the snaps. He's got to be the do-it-all tight end, and he's never coming off the field. I think they're going to have four guys that they're going to rotate. It could be week to week. Hey, we feel really good about this guy against this team, and he's going to get the bulk of the snaps. Next week, it could be a different guy. They're going to spread the wealth. They're going to utilize some guys in the red zone, some guys as blockers. I really don't see one guy being the go-to player at that position. So when you take that into consideration, then you really don't necessarily need a Travis Kelsey or a Dawson Knox, which were the two notable players for the Chiefs and the Bills, respectively, over the last year. I understand exactly what you're saying, Lance. I I can only stress something to you, and that is this is going to be a vastly different Giants offense and Giants defense from what you have seen in the past. And until the folks get a look at these schematics and what this coaching staff has cooked up, it's kind of unfair to judge who's making what and who's going to come up with what kind of stats. You just, you just, trust me, folks, I've already seen enough. You're not going to recognize this team and the kind of stuff that they're going to do. This is a totally different type of team. Uh, there are going to be a lot of players that are still on this roster from last year. Uh, if you want to judge Kenny Galladay on that season as opposed to the 2,000-yard seasons that he's had prior, feel free. Go ahead. It's a free country. You could do that if you like. Okay? I'm simply telling you, before you pass judgment on that receiver, let's see what he does this year. Understand something. There's some guy named Diggs who went to Buffalo and really changed that organization around because they found a way to use him and maximize his value in terms of making big plays. If you honestly believe that Brian Dable doesn't see some big play capability in Kenny Galladay, then I think you're sadly mistaken. Is there anything more annoying than having to run to the store in freezing cold weather when all you want to do is stream endlessly from the comfort of your couch? Or realizing after just going to three different grocery stores that you forgot the toilet paper and refuse to enter yet another parking lot? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone appear with the items you're missing right to your door? Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's a craving for something sweet during a commercial break or you forgot those bathroom essentials, Grubhub will deliver anything from the convenience store right to your door. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. I keep going back to the statement that I said earlier, and I know the last caller said they agreed with the previous caller. Nobody on this team you could point to is having a love fest with their production or their statistics from last season. Right? I mean, to pinpoint Galladay of all players, I get it because he's making a lot of money, but I could go down the list. Paul, 
No one had 50 receptions on this team last season, okay? The highest receiver was Evan Ingram. He had 46. And Galladay actually was the leading receiver from a receiving yard standpoint. And he had 521. Nobody's numbers jumped off the page last Lance, season. The last eight games of last year, they averaged under 10 points a game. They had Mike Glennon playing quarterback. I mean, <laughs> what, are, what are we talking about here? You know what well, I'm saying? Yeah. No, listen, I'm with you. I'm not, certainly not battling you. I'm completely with you. I just I find it funny that we're pinpointing just one player in particular when who else had monster numbers or monster production? At any facet of this team. Yeah, it's, it's, folks, it, it, nothing that happened in 2021 matters. Trust me when I tell you that. It just doesn't. Wipe your mind clean of last season. This is a new administration, a new coaching staff, totally different schemes. I, you know, I believe it's, to, is it tomorrow, uh, uh, Pearson? You're going to put up the uh, huddle with Mark Lewinsky and Max uh, Garcia. Okay. That's going up tomorrow. Those two offensive linemen who the Giants have brought in, two veterans, as they rebuild that unit. And one of the things that, well, I asked both of these guys about the attraction to come here and so forth and so on. But the Garcia comment was very, very telling. When I asked him about this offense and what what you could expect to see and why is it important for a guy to want to sign here, and he stressed what Dable and Kafka did with Buffalo and Kansas City he said, those offenses are so dynamic. These guys, these coaches are so dynamic. He said, I'm telling you, I feel bad for the skill position guys because they're going to be lining up all over the place. They're all going to share the ball in all different ways. It's going to be incredibly dynamic and exciting and varied. He, I mean, he was just getting jacked up, and he's an offensive lineman, and he's getting jacked up by the potential of what this scheme is going to do. So, folks, you know, don't take it from me. Take it from him. He understands. And so does Glowinski, quite frankly. Glowinski understands, too, because he, he's been part of very good offensive lines with the Colts, and he said all you got to do is look at some of the film and some of the tape at what Buffalo and Kansas City did, and you'll understand why as offensive linemen we're excited to be here. Here's a stat that I think tells all you need to know. Cooper Cup had 16 receiving touchdowns last season to lead the NFL. The Giants had 15 as a team, okay? So I really don't think it's worthy of highlighting any player when one player in the National Football League outproduced the entire Giants roster in terms of their receiving core. Let's head back to the phone lines. Len is in Maryland joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Len? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi, Len. You're right. What do you got for us? Um, there are 15 or so. 16 teams who play a base 4-3 defense. Paulie, Raymond Johnson is going to find work, and he's going to find it pretty quickly. It's just the wrong defense for him. Yeah, I like him better as a 4-3 defensive end. I agree with you. But but I do think he did show enough versatility in practice and in in last summer that I do think he could do some some three-technique stuff. I believe that. Yeah, he's... Yeah, he's he's going to find work pretty quickly. Paul. I think so. If, now, you know, they may look at one of their current undrafted free agent signings, the kid from Michigan, Hinton. Yeah, who's got a little size to him. He's over three hundred pounds, and he's got uh, a I mean, dad who played in the league too. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so he may be a guy who maybe fills the Raymond Johnson role on next year's team. Um, on on the Bradbury situation, 
I, I, for one, am disappointed that he's not on the roster. And I'm just not willing to buy into the narrative that there was nothing else we could have done. I I think James is not on this team uh, anymore, and that's pretty clear, obviously. He's not on this team anymore because the Giants didn't want him on this team anymore. Now, you can look at a number of things that were maybe wrong with James Bradbury, including the money. I mean, that always comes to the top, and we, and we you know, we uh, there's great gnashing of teeth, and we're wringing our hands about how, oh, we would have loved to have had him back, but we could. <sighs> Land, I can't. James, I can't, James Bradbury, Land, James. Land, before you go anywhere else, there's a lot yeah, of stuff yeah. I can say and a lot of stuff I can say. Yeah, yeah, I got I'm, you. I'm going to yeah. tell you you're on the wrong track there. Okay. All right. I well, and Len, here, here's the other thing, Len. What else could they have yeah. done? You said there was other things they could have done from a financial standpoint. What else could they have done? Well, let me, let me. Uh, how, they, how, about, they how about the names? How, how about the following names? Raymond Johnson, Lewerke, Trent Harris, and whoever the, the fourth person was that got cut today. I mean, that's just one option, Lance. I'm not no, saying no, that those... No, 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 really, hold on. No, no, hold are on. You, wait, wait, Len. No, no, no. Paul, let me jump in here. Yeah, Len, go, are you go. really arguing yeah, yeah. that those guys took up a lot of cap no, no, space? No, 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 no. No, no, I'm not... No, well, you want me to go to the higher-priced players, Lance? There, Lance, it's, was that it? Our, backs, our back was to the wall. That's the only thing we could have done? Raymond's... Uh, Bradbury's not on this team because the Giants didn't want him on the team. Len, I just told you. Yeah, I just I told you, Len, Len, you you're yes. barking up the wrong yes. tree, Len. You're no, barking okay, up okay. the wrong tree. And let me oh, explain okay, to you why. No, no, you need to know why. I'll, I'll, give okay, you, okay. I'll give you a small reason why. Okay, okay you got to give me time. you got to give me time to respond. And then you can. And then okay, you can. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Sometimes, even though you want something to happen, there is an ancillary effect or a, a, you know what they say all the time, that when there's an action, there's a reaction. The problem is, and I made this clear to people for months, that if the Giants really do want Bradbury to stay that badly, they could extend him. They could do some things with the numbers and fiddle some things around. And they could find a way to potentially keep him. However, the problem is, if you do that, you're also going to wind up pulling three teeth out of your mouth breaking one of your ankles, and separating your shoulder. <laughs> there was a tremendous pain that was going to have to happen contractually for them to keep him. I'm sure that there are times that you wanted to keep your favorite shirt, and your wife said, no, I'm throwing it out. And no matter how much you wanted that shirt, she said, no, it's going. It happens. More than, more, more than one time, Paulie. There you go. <laughs> so we're good. So we're yeah. good. Okay. Well, well the, let, let me let me say this in response, and thank you for giving me the time to re, to respond to this. Um, you 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 stole my thunder. One of the things I was going to say, and I'm glad you had an opportunity to explain it a little further. One of the things I was going to say is, of course, we don't know things that are going on behind the scenes. That that's really where I was going to go next. So, Paulie, I, I I do agree with you, but hey, let's—he's not on the roster. And you're just going to sit there and say, oh, my God, we were down to a last resort. We love James. We love James. But, I mean, you know, we were down. I mean, we just had to do this. I'm not willing to buy into that narrative. One thing on the NFL contracts, you know, we hear three-year contracts, five-year contracts. They're really not three-year contracts. No, because it's all about the guaranteed money. Bradbury's contract was a series 
of three one-year contracts. And he had to perform each year. If he didn't, and, I mean, let's be honest, this came up today. You had a number of callers who said his performance last year was not very good. It so dropped. maybe they made a judgment, uh, right? So it's not, these guys don't sign three-year contracts. They sign a series of one years leading up to the bigger number. And if they don't perform, uh, you know, they get cut. It's, it's not, you know, or another way to put it, there's no guarantees. Yeah, well, that's what it comes down to, Len. It's more about the yeah. guaranteed money. It's not necessarily that they're signing one-year contracts. It may be that the contract is front-loaded, and there's more flexibility on the back end to cut ties with the player because you don't have as significant of a cap hit. That's normally well, how most often, contracts are structured. Yeah, but Lance, isn't it often front-loaded because the border, because the players and their agents know this game, and they know it very well. And that is, let's get as much money up front as we can. Sure. So we're not sitting there with a 13-year contract at the end of the three well, years. Yeah, but also that benefits the team, Len, because if you're signing a player to a five-year contract and he's 28 years old, you have more yeah. faith that at 28 and 29 yeah. you're going to get more yeah. production, so you're more willing to pay him for those two or three but, years. But, but, Lance, doesn't it seem with a lot of these contracts, when you look at the back end, like, like Bradbury's third year, you 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 gotta know you you're gonna have to be an old pro to get that third year. So so let's get as much money up front as we can. Yeah. Well I'm not disagreeing with that, but once again okay. it still goes back to the premise that the earlier in the contract, the more money they're set to make because they know okay. the more years you play, the more risk of injury yeah. comes into play and the right, older right, you right. get. True. So I mean True. we're True. we're basically we're bringing up the same point. True. Line. True. Yeah. Have I got time for one more point? Real quick, real quick. Okay. Um, um, Monday, Lance, I I want to disagree with you a little bit. Um, On Monday, you made a point. You you pointed out Calais Campbell being, uh, you know, a major part of the success in Baltimore. um, And, I mean, he's a terrific player. I mean, no question about that. But I think the key to that Baltimore defense for more than one year, three years, and even Calais Campbell's stay with the Ravens was one other person, and that's the guy at nose tackle. And their run defense for 10 years, except for last year when they got devastated by injuries, Brandon Williams. Sure. Brandon Williams is really the key guy in that defense. Um, A quick question on Thibodeau. You mentioned this on Monday, Lance. You see him as a defensive end. No, no, no. I said he was – no, no, no. See, and I got tweets on this. Okay, let me make this crystal clear to all our listeners. Okay? Okay. Kayvon Thibodeau was a defensive end at Oregon. You can look at his player page, which is still up. You can look at the film. What a player does in college is what I go when a team drafts that player. The Giants drafted a defensive end. How they utilize him is irrelevant to what he played in college. Okay. That was my point, period. Okay. Hey, good, good point, and I, you, I, I have no question then because you just explained it. I okay. appreciate that. Hey, no, thanks for got, taking my call, hey, guys. Hey, you got it, Len. Thank, appreciate well, the Len. phone call. And, you know, Paul, this was a conversation you and I had, and, you know, mm-hmm. once again, I got a tweet or two, and I clarified it further. I identified it exactly how I said it to Len. 
I'm not claiming, and I don't think you were claiming, that the Giants were absolutely only utilizing him as a defensive end and that he's not going to be playing linebacker. It was the point about the drought that the Giants haven't drafted a linebacker in the first round since Carl Banks in 84, which I bring up nonstop at nauseum for the very reason of it's a notable streak and that a lot of people are arguing the streak is over. And since Thibodeau was a defensive end in college, I associate the pick the Giants make with where you played in college, sure. not how you're going to be utilized in the NFL. That was the premise, really, of our conversation, Paul. I don't know how you took it, mm-hmm. but that's where I thought the both of us were going and not saying that he's absolutely going to have just one position moving forward for the next four or five years. Yeah, I, I took it the same way, Lance, because, you know, it's a trivia question that people love to throw up, and you've got you've to be very specific. And look, I get it. Guys come out of college at one position, and very often, I mean, Harry Carson was a defensive tackle at South Carolina State and became a Hall of Fame inside linebacker and middle linebacker for the Giants. Okay, it happens. Guys do change positions when they get to the NFL, but that doesn't change the fact that he was originally, when he came out of college, a defensive tackle. That's what he was. So when you when you talk about him, and I believe South Carolina State has put him in their Hall of Fame or or, or, or you know Ring of Honor, whatever it is that they have there, I'm pretty sure he's he's in there. He's immortalized. Well, he's a defensive tackle for them. He's not a linebacker for them. He's a defensive tackle. That's what he was. And that's the main point. The main point is, to me, draft picks should always be associated with the position they play in college. Because what also happens more often than not, which is what you were highlighting, Paul, defensive ends in college, especially if they go to a 3-4 scheme, more often than not wind up playing outside linebacker. You know, when you look at the Von Millers of the world, who also have been in a variety of different schemes, they have the flexibility, based on when they were scouted, that we can utilize them as a linebacker. They don't necessarily have to be right down on the line of scrimmage. So what you evolve into in the NFL, to me, doesn't necessarily relate automatically in what you did in college. Mm -hmm. That was basically the entire conversation. Let's head back to the phone line. Scott is in New Mexico. He joins us. What's happening, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Hi. Do right. Um, I have to disagree with the first call. I think it was Phil. Uh, we're not in a re- hello. Yeah, we're we're listening, hello? Scott. Yeah. Oh, okay, we hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I heard a click, so I didn't know. No, no, uh, we're here, loud and clear. You disagree with the first caller? We we heard right. every word. Uh, yes, because and I went over this term with you a couple of weeks ago, Lance. Uh, we're not in a rebuild. We're in your word. We're in a retooling year, which every single team does. So I yep. wish Giant fans would stop the rebuild talk because it's not a rebuild. They're preparing to win football games, and so they're drafting players and getting players aligned to do just that. And that's a philosophy I think that's important. I just wanted to mention that. You know, Scott, uh, to ma- further enhance your point, if I may, for just one quick second, sure. you're truly in a rebuild when you don't have any of the four foundational players that you need to be competitive. Quarterback, left tackle, cover corner, and uh, um, um, pass rusher. Well, guess what? Uh, The Giants have a quarterback, although there's some debate as to how good he is. They obviously have a pass rusher. They obviously have a premier left tackle. And Adoree Jackson is a solid cover corner. May not be a pro bowler, obviously, but a solid cover corner. They are not void of all four of those spots. That's what right. would put you in a rebuild. Okay. Uh, 
my main point is something that you guys have been talking about uh, actually for the whole period today. I was looking at Wink Martindale's specific philosophy, and I'm going to read a couple of things to you uh, that he said. And these are quotes from him. Uh, and I'll start with, uh, with his first quote. If you're the owner of a team and I'm your head coach and it comes down to what uh, what you do, what do you do want, I want as many cover corners as you can have. And I think sacks, and he's talking philosophically now, this is my opinion on it, I think sacks are one of the most superficial rankings there is. My philosophy is, personally, I'd rather have a corner that can cover than a guy that can rush, he said, because I'll get guys to hit quarterbacks, which I thought was a, a really dynamic philosophy. And if you look at his record in Baltimore on scoring defenses, in 2017, they were number five. 2018, they were number two. 2019, One thing, they were I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Scott. It's just sure. important to note, remember, he was not the defensive coordinator until right, in 2018. Right. Okay, so, right. so to that, not to say that he wasn't on the staff, but he was the linebacker's right. coach. So you just, it's hard to give a guy credit if he was the position Correct. coach. Just and, and, to I'll give it further, yeah. and I don't know where that quote came from, but Scott, here's the problem. It's sure. exactly the opposite of what real NFL people will tell you. Because anybody who has gone up against the Wink Martindale defense will tell you that their biggest headache and the trademark of his D is what he does schematically with his front. That's the part that makes Wink Martindale's defense what his defense is. So, So sacks may not necessarily be the number that does it, but it's the confusion and the disruption of the front that is the core of everything he does. Right, and actually the line right after that was Martindale wins on defense with organized chaos. Yes. Scheming pressure, playing position, less defense, and getting all 11 players to blitz from the time we get off the bus. Exactly. That is his philosophy. So but I want to make I, that I would, clear I, I, because the covered corner, while an important ingredient, is not the top priority. It's more right. chaos. But, but getting back to his actual specifics, in 2020, he had the number one scoring defense and giving up 18 points. A, he's been giving up no more than 18 points except for 2021. And the unusual thing in 2021, in third down conversions, of which in 2019 he was first, and in 2020 he was second, in 2021 when they didn't have a defense, everybody was injured, he was yeah. still on third down conversions, was number three in the league. So I have a, a tremendous amount of faith in what he can do with players and how he actually works it. And I'm just curious. He had a bunch of great players on the team. He had Mosley, he had Jimmy Smith, he had Judon, he had Terrell Suggs. My question to you two, I've just read off four names that are really fairly good players. Do you think he's assembling the same type of players now uh, or in his mind, to do the exact same thing that he did at Baltimore? Or does he take into account the players he does have and he's going to acclimate or, or acquiesce to the talent that he has? Because I always think you win with talent, not, not with statistics. So does he have the talent? Has he assembled the talent that you think is necessary to do the same things he was doing in Baltimore? And I know it's early. So you don't have all the players in place, but I just wanted to get your evaluation to this day because you've seen some of the players on the field. And I'll be glad to take the, the answers off the air, guys. Thanks again. All right, Scott. Appreciate the phone call. It's a good question. 
As far as I'm concerned, Paul, I think the biggest question mark, if you're going to do a talent comparison, and a lot of the guys, in fairness, that Scott mentioned, we're talking about, you know, Hall of Fame caliber, high-polished veterans, and they certainly don't have a lot of that on the roster just from experience. I think there's more potential for what Wink can do with the front seven and getting production out of them versus the secondary. I don't know what he has in the secondary in terms of real solid, consistent coverage because these players just have not been out on the field much. And even their regular season resumes, there's not a lot of substance. So if you want to build a comparison, there's maybe potential to have guys that could blitz and have that organized chaos up front. I don't know if he feels the same way about leaving those guys out on an island and thinking they could do the same thing as some of those corners in Baltimore. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. We could sit tight and say, all right, try to match up each one of the Giants guys with the pegs that he had in Baltimore to see how much of it that he can keep and how much of it he has to tweak. We could do that if we wanted to. But the problem is the Giants have some unknown guys here who we don't even know what they're capable of doing. I mean, let's be honest, Lance. Can you blame Wink Martindale if he's unsure about what Aaron Robinson's going to give him? Or what that's Ellison, why I pointed to the secondary. Right? Yeah, sure. Or what Ellison Smith is going to give him? Or what is Blake Martinez going to be when he finally gets back on the field after a significant knee injury? He, he doesn't know. So I, I, I don't know that I'm prepared to make a judgment as to exactly how Wink is going to treat this defense. What I do know is what his philosophy is, what his base scheme was in Baltimore, and certainly from talking to the Giants and the players over the last couple of weeks. I do know, in theory, what his mission is and what he's going to try to do. I'm just not exactly sure the recipe he's going to use to get there because I don't even think he knows specifically what each of these players is going to give him on the field. Well, and that's why I think it's good that you highlighted that because what I would throw out to the last caller, Scott, when he was making the comparisons, is the other thing that Wink benefited when you look at the numbers and the production with Baltimore is there was continuity there for him to work with Paul. Meaning, even as he went from linebackers coach to defensive coordinator, he knew the personnel. There was a well-established scheme in place. He had a relationship with the players. He had knowledge of those guys. That allows a relatively smooth transition. Whereas, this is everything very new. For example, if you looked at, and the one season that the last caller did not mention, and because the statistics are not pretty there, 2010. Paul, he was the Denver Broncos defensive coordinator, okay? He didn't have Terrell Suggs. He didn't have Jimmy Smith. He didn't have all those, right, decorated guys. And as a result, and once again, this is not a knock on Wink. This is just, once again, life in the NFL. Their numbers were not anywhere near what Baltimore produced. And I think part of that was, even though he was the linebackers coach in 2009, the year before, and then he was upgraded to D.C., he didn't have the same level of continuity and experience with that group that I think allowed him to put guys in a very strong position. Because remember, he was the linebacker's coach for the Ravens under Harbaugh from 2012 to 17. That's six seasons, Paul, that he was there before he jumped to D.C., meaning he had a number of years to see what worked, see strengths, weaknesses of players. And then, now that he was at the controls, okay, I want to do this my way. Denver, he didn't have nearly as many years 
And once again, you didn't have a lot of proven all-star talent that Baltimore did. So if you're going to compare, not to say that it's going to be a repeat of Denver, I'd look at more of the transition with Denver with this group than maybe necessarily Baltimore because at least with the Giants, you don't have nearly as many years as you did with respect to Baltimore. Very fair statement. And, you know, here's the other thing. Let's not forget, we all talk about the coaches and the schemes and the philosophies and all that stuff. But too often we gloss over the fact that the players still have to play. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> right? <laughs> Unless he's going out there and putting on a helmet and pads. I mean, yeah. we, we want to give these coaches credit and these coordinators credit. And I understand that. We all do it. Okay? And I'm telling you, this team is going to look a lot different this year. And that's wonderful. But ultimately... What is that word that we always talk about? It goes back to the Coughlin days, uh, hammering at home, execution. Tom loved that word, execution. In fact, I think execution and opportunity were the two favorite words in the dictionary of Tom Coughlin when he was here. And really, that, that's, that's the deal. Steve Spagnuolo is an outstanding defensive coordinator. He has had some teams that perform statistically very poorly over sure. his career. Look at this. Because yep. he had chicken you know what. And and what are you gonna do? He, look, that one year with the Giants, he did not have much on defense. And he got them competitive to where the, what, they lose six games in the final two minutes of games. They never should have been in those games. But he got them to raise their level of play millenniums higher than where they should have been. Well, anyway. and that's, yeah, no, I listen, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think it's a very fair parallel. I'm just bringing up the Denver numbers real quick just to show you why what you said talent matters. That year when Wink was the defensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos, they were dead last in scoring defense. They gave up just over 29 points per game. So that was 32nd out of 32 teams in which he ranked. And then you look at Baltimore, Baltimore has been much more steady. So it just goes to show you, you still need the talent at the end of the day to help implement and have the level of success that you had anticipated before the season even started. Yeah. I, I close with this. A good coordinator will get the expected results out of his unit. A great coordinator will get more than what was expected out of his unit. And a poor coordinator will have an underachieving unit. It's really that simple. Well, and your middle point about exceeding expectations goes back to one of your other favorite lines, getting guys to play above the X's and O's right. and maybe even outproduce themselves with respect to your own expectations for them. Yes. That's another big X factor when it comes to the outlook of a team. All right, that is going to wrap up Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate everybody tuning in. Some good conversation about the ins and outs of perhaps what's going to happen with the defense this season. We'll be back up and running again on Thursday at noon Eastern as we continue to carry on the conversation with respect to OTAs and the makeup of this roster. A reminder, today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we will speak to you on Thursday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games, and no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time, and you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.